welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, one and only Jerry Springer. That just nuts. gets me in a good mood right away. You know? Yep. Uh, Megan take... Hills. Oh, yeah, Megan's not here. <laughs> Megan Hills is not with us tonight. She uh, had some dental work done, still is not feeling well. And so we wish Megan will get better. Yes. I know she will. She'll be back with us uh, in the next episode. We have Tiffany Williams. She was on our show last week. She is, well, first She's... of all, a very cool young lady. Yeah, and, really uh, is. Lives in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, born and raised in southeastern Kentucky, that truly uh, daughter of a coal miner. And uh, we're going to hear a song from Tiffany and chat with her and talk a little bit more about her music. So let me say hello, Tiffany. How you doing? Oh, I'm so glad hey. to be here again. Thank you. You're sure. welcome. By the way, uh, we should mention this to Tiffany. Uh, our opening song which we only play just a little bite of it at the beginning because it has a great instrumental. And then uh, Patrick Who, H-U, Patrick, that, that's his stage name, Patrick Who, wrote this song about coal mining. And Tiffany, you and I should stay in touch long enough for me to send you a link to this song. Yeah. It is outstanding. In fact, it is, and I'm, I'm not a, this is not my wheelhouse. I wonder how can we get this song out there and known? It's like good like that. It's got a great sound and it's a great way of talking about because Tiffany, you know about some of the old coal mining songs. Dark as a Dungeon is a classic one. A Tennessee Ernie Ford. We're talking back in the 1950s, tons, right, yeah. Jerry? Yeah. Back uh, in the 50s. Coal, Billy coal, Welch. Billy, Billy Welch has down in a hole. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And one by Billy Ed Wheeler called Coal Tattoo. And your father, a coal miner, not that I'm one, I'm not. But when you when the when you're in a collapse of a coal mine, you get hit with a coal, you get a bruise on your head that never goes away because it's not it's coal. It's a bruise. Yeah. And that's called a coal tattoo. Yeah. Billy Ed Wheeler. There's a book called Coal Tattoo by Silas House. He's a Kentuckian. There you go. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, song is titled Mountain That Eats Men. What's it called? Ma- Mountain Ma- That Eats Men. And yeah. by the way, wow. for our listeners, uh, everybody should check that out. Mountain That Eats Men by Patrick Who. And it, he wrote it. He told me he saw a PBS show about a disaster in Bolivia. So it's not like southeastern Kentucky. Yeah. And he wrote this song watching this show about the tragedy of mining, the dangers of mining. And what he did is he brought it all home to Kentucky. He's a Kentuckian, as I am. And Jerry's wife, Tiffany, is uh, was born and raised in Falmouth, Kentucky. So we help, we all have some Kentucky roots here. And Patrick, who wrote this song, and it's all in kind of an Appalachian dialect sound, and uh, it's unbelievable. So anyway, we're going to swing back here in a minute and talk uh, more to uh, Tiffany Williams, so please stick around for that. I don't know how to get it into the conversation, but I'm just dying to say, isn't he on first? (laughs) (laughs) Who's on first? (laughs) Anywho. (laughs) I just couldn't figure. That's that's. For those who don't know, it, it's an all-time classic comedy skit uh, by uh, Abbott and Costello. Who's yeah. on first? Because the guy's name was who? Like in Watts 1743 or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Um, hey, Jerry, we have had some podcasts recently that have been appropriately, we make no apology for this, uh, Ukraine-centered. Because we, yeah, you know, we call our podcast Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fuller, which means we goof around a little bit. But man, looming over is the darkness of the war in Ukraine, and and Jerry's commentaries are you know the the most important part of each of these podcasts. So I wanted to 
sadly, take you back to Ukraine and Russia and ask you a question. Uh, do you think that the Russian people, they seem to be already starting to do this, revolt against Vladimir Putin? And if so, what the hell's taking so long? Well, here's what I know, or at least I think I know. When the war in Ukraine finally ends, Putin will be removed from office if he hasn't already been. Removed either dead or alive. Dead because he will have been executed by his own military, or in the alternative, alive, but thrown out by the Russian people themselves. The only thing we don't know yet is how many Ukrainians will have been killed, maimed, or chased out of their country in the meantime. In light of all the pain, the Russian people themselves are starting to and will continue to suffer as a result of the sanctions strangling their economy, not to mention the thousands of their soldiers being killed. It is inevitable that the Russian population will eventually turn on him. So a fair question to ask is what you just asked. Considering the catastrophic and painful consequences of Putin's war, a war the Russian people never asked for, a war reducing this once proud nation into a rogue failed state, all while bringing our planet to the edge of nuclear confrontation. A fair question to be asking is, what is taking the Russian people so long to rise up against him? The quick answer, of course, is, well, Russia's a police state and protesting against Putin could and often does get you killed or at least imprisoned. But there's another more fundamental reason why there isn't yet a revolution, an overthrow of this tyrant, why the people haven't yet turned on him. And that is Putin's doing what all dictators do. He's censoring all news other than what his state-owned media puts out. Simply said, most Russians don't yet know what the rest of the world does, that Putin's invasion of Ukraine for no other reason than his demented dream to be a czar of a reconstructed Russian empire, apparently forgetting that the revolution ended the reign and life of Russia's last czar, the Russian people, for the most part, don't yet know that his war of choice, his unprovoked military assault, is already responsible for the deaths of thousands of civilians, the displacement of millions, and stands out as the singular reason for the imposition of the crippling sanctions and the resulting cratering economy of Russia. They haven't been exposed to the news. They haven't seen the pictures. They haven't witnessed the war crimes. Independent media, traditional and social, have been totally shut down. In fact, Putin's blocking out of all news is so extreme He's made it a crime punishable by up to 15 years in prison for any journalist or person who simply refers to what he's doing as a war. It must be called merely a military exercise. Call it a war and you're hauled off to jail. It is this censorship which accounts for the so far tepid response of the Russian people to what Putin's doing. They're simply being kept in the dark. To us Americans, it seems outrageous that a citizenry would stand for this. It couldn't happen here, we say, or could it? Just last week, the Republican legislature in Florida passed a bill prohibiting schools as well as workplace training programs from discussing racism, white supremacy, or privilege. Instructors, by law, aren't allowed to say anything liable to make one feel badly because people of his or her own race in the past have treated people of another race prejudicially because of their race. Being aware of injustice might want to make people do something to correct it. Good Lord, we can't have people doing that. This, by the way, is the same legislature that outlaws the use of the term gay in our lower school grades, as if that's something to be ashamed of. I wonder whether there's any difference between, on the one hand, Putin 
outlawing the inconvenience of the term war, despite its obvious truth, and on the other hand, politicians here in America outlawing the inconvenience of the term racism or white supremacy, despite its obvious truth. Putin senses the truth so people won't rise up against him. Here at home, state governments sense the truth because they don't want a younger generation to be educated on institutional racism for fear that they might rise up against and do something about it. I know the comparison with Putin is uncomfortable. After all, no one here is firing missiles and dropping bombs or committing what is classified as crimes against humanity. Yet by our attempted censorship, we are covering up an immorality as well, one that has stained our country since its birth. And we don't get to whitewash what we've done and in some quarters what we're still doing just because the slice of humanity being affected is black or gay. Wow, that's provocative. I like that. <laughs> We're um, going to get calls. We're going to yeah. get calls. <laughs> We're going to get calls. Um, Why do I? It's not necessary. I don't no, need no, to do no, that. No, 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 no. But you, you, you qualify it nicely there toward the end of saying, hey, they may, you're not saying they are moral equivalents, but there are some uncomfortable parallels. And by the way, and we talked about this on a previous podcast, you and Megan and I about how do how does anyone, including uh, the young people in the free world, get accurate information to Russians, including to the young people of Russia, when uh, Putin is blocking all of these channels? Well, first of all, the easiest thing to do is to say nothing can be on uh, television or any kind of or newsprint, etc., within Russia that tells the truth. Now, did you notice that? just outright courageous uh, producer in yeah. Russian television that held a sign up behind an anchor. And you've worked in yeah. the news business on television. You can picture this. A pro- you know what, what a producer yeah. is. They're standing off, off camera yeah. often. Yeah. If they walked up behind you and held up a sign, a handmade sign that says this, war, you know, whatever it said, but it was basically yeah. this war is wrong. Yeah. That was unbelievable, wasn't it? And she knew she was going to be going off to jail. And they took her away for days, interrogated her, left her in a cold cell. Now the word is she may be going back again. Then she got out. Then I saw an interview on uh, one of the cable channels where a very seasoned uh, woman who struck me as kind of like a a public broadcasting type (coughs) journalist that, you know, uh, comparable to what we would have here. And she was on, uh, I believe it was MSNBC saying the truth about this war. And the interviewer on MSNBC said, how dare you do this? I mean, we're so glad you're doing it. Here you are on Skype or Zoom, something, which can be monitored, right, in Russia. Oh, sure. And she said, I can't not do it. I'm like you, a journalist, she said to the interviewer. And you think, man, there are a few. And now here's one last thing. <clears throat> one of the things that's happening in the U.S., and it's frankly kind of brilliant, is there are people who are spending their day here texting to Russian phones. Yeah. Sending texts. Yeah. With a paragraph saying what's really happening. That is really that's on the download yeah. man that the that's message really yeah you're right the message is starting to trickle in and yeah. one because particularly the younger generation they have so many technological means of getting around what the government's doing and getting a message in secondly the all these soldiers russian soldiers that are being killed or maimed and aren't coming back. They have families. Yeah. The word is getting out. You know, in today's modern world, you just can't keep that information forever. They all have relatives in some country. 
and some European country, not just America, they have, you know, these, and these people clearly have Russian ties, you know, they're brothers and sisters that are being killed in the Ukraine and they're, they have Russian relatives. It's, uh, I think, inevit- as I said, I believe inevitably Putin goes either dead That's or alive. Good um, point. But, you know, the, the horrific part is how many Ukrainians are going to die in the meantime. And that is yeah. just, it's just horrible. Watching the news is just, just horrible. Okay. Uh, we mentioned this uh, last week on our podcast that uh, Jerry's commentaries, which we relish here, are now going to be uh, printed, put into print form on both the digital and the hard copy print of a Gannett paper called the Cincinnati Inquirer, a major daily paper. And uh, we're going to start to send those to them regularly. And we're excited about that. Congratulations to Jerry. Uh, they, they are that good. Uh, also, we took a sound bite of one of the commentaries Jerry did, the first one that he did on Ukraine. And it's wonderful. It's uh, three episodes back. You ought to look it up. And Jerry talked about the Jerry Springer side of him and the Gerald Springer side of him. He's used both names through his life. And uh, one is, you know, the old ex-hippie war protester and the other is the more seasoned pragmatist. And it's a kind of a back and forth between his, his two thoughts on this. It's really good. And our uh, social media person, one of the people who works on our social media team, along with David Pruce, uh, a gentleman named Marshall, <clears throat> took a soundbite of that, about 30 seconds, and put it on TikTok, and it really is resonating. It just pulled a chunk out of that, and it's up to 75,000 uh, views and growing. And uh, so we, we do send stuff out. We do use social media pretty heavily, and we're going to continue to do that. So uh, good work, Jerry. Hey, I wanted to raise a question with you, Jerry, um, and then we're going to talk to Tiffany Williams. You and I talked, I don't know, might have been about a year ago, and we even had on our show a woman named Dixie is her her YouTube name. She is a extremely successful YouTuber and a, and a backpacking influencer. She makes her living now. Have, she's got a college degree, has done professional work. Now she makes YouTube videos and they are about backpacking. She's what's called a triple crown hiker, Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest, Continental Divide Trail, And she came on because she has hiked the Appalachian Trail. And there is a mountain in Georgia named for Jerry Springer because of his TV celebrity called Springer Mountain. Springer Mountain, Georgia is the southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail and the northern terminus is now Katahdin. So I, Jerry, thought, Gene, you better have your SHIT together. You better do your your due diligence and you better make a call to somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about and verify Springer Mountain is named for Jerry Springer. It's logical. <laughs> Think about it, Jerry. I'll ask Tiffany Williams this question. She's just a, a regular person, not, not a staffer on our podcast. If I say there is a mountain called Trump, who do you think of? You think of Donald Trump, it's inescapable. Whether you like him or don't like him, you say yeah. Trump Mountain's name for Donald Trump. If I said to anybody in the state of Georgia, Springer Mountain, who do you think of? They're going to say, easy, Jerry Springer. So I called the librarian. You what? Of, I called, <laughs> I, I called, oh, I oh. called several people. Oh, I was busy one morning on this project. <laughs> Jerry, learn from me. This is called doing your due diligence. <laughs> wait, wait, slow on. I'm trying to write this down. <laughs> due diligence, okay. I called down in the, the proximity of the Catahoochee National Forest, and it's Gilmer County Public Library. And I called up and I got the librarian. Oh, we go way back in Gilmer County. We go way County. back. And I said, so... Uh, <laughs> My buddy, Jerry Springer, with whom I do a podcast, yeah, it's the TV guy, 
we are putting together an assault on Springer Mountain. And we got a whole team of people, right, Jerry? We're talking about, well, it's in the speculative stages. Very speculative. I'm not <laughs> climbing <laughs> Springer Mountain. Okay. So I we're will talking hand about- our family flag to you. You know, we have, uh, what are they? The crest. The, the crest. crest. I will hand the, uh, the family crest to you. And you can climb to the top of the mountain. And when you get there, jam the uh, flagpole into the top of the mountain, take a picture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and does that realize to pay for the upkeep of the mountain? <laughs> the yeah. mountains have upkeeps. <laughs> yeah. And you realize by that afternoon, some college kid would have that flag on the wall of his dorm. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, so I called this librarian and I said, look, I did this all like a real straight, you know, straight voice. I said, look, uh, I produce Jerry Springer podcasts and I just want to make sure I'm on solid ground here. No pun intended. (laughs) uh, Springer Mountain is named for Jerry Springer, right? And I went through the whole Trump thing and he, I couldn't see him, but he's like, yeah, that sounds logical, but let's look it up. So he got out some books. I hate books. I hate it when they do that. They start out looking facts. And he said, well, he says, first of all, I can tell you that in 1910, it was yeah. called, this is perfect, Penitentiary Mountain. <laughs> That's what it was called, Penitentiary Mountain. Oh, oh, oh. And I said, you know, Ben, we're putting together this big team. We got climbers. We got Dixie from <laughs> YouTube. We got a video crew. We got a doctor. We got mountain rescue people. And he said, uh, listen, it's only 3,782 feet tall. It's not like Mount Everest, which is about 30,000. Yeah. So I said, oh, okay. And uh, so he, I said, who was it named for? And he says, well, it doesn't have any mention of Jerry Springer. And was his show on in 1910? I said, well, maybe 1915. <laughs> <laughs> So it was named, it was named for either there is a controversy. I've added to the controversy because now I put in the TV. Yeah, now it's really a controversy. Now it's really my name. I said, would you please write this in your books in Gilbert County, uh, Georgia? It is not Jerry Springer. Well, I said, put Jerry Springer in there too, because we don't know for sure. It was either named for the first Presbyterian minister in the area. I thought as a Jew, you would enjoy that. Or <laughs> it was named for a uh, well-known early settler, not, not yeah. some military guy, didn't have any racism issues. It's just either yeah. an early pioneer or a minister. Then I called, I said, okay, okay, I'm going to shut up on this. It's named for Jerry Springer. Then I called the uh, state of Georgia. Yes. To the governor's office. Oh, yeah. I got a good reception there, I bet. <laughs> oh, they love you. And I talked to a woman <laughs> and I said, uh, we are we are uh, trying to figure out what this jurisdiction is because Jerry wants to maintain the mountain. You just said it. I just it's on it's on the recording. You just said it, Jerry. Yeah. They're going to now charge you to maintain no. the mountain. No, <laughs> he says, I don't think it's us. It's not the state. I think it's federal. And I said, okay, well, I'll, That's how I'll they call got out over of it. there. They didn't want to have to tell you that's absurd. <laughs> no. They just said, it's not a, we don't know. It's, it's not us. It's not our mountain. It's not our mountain. No, we never met Springer. Hey, yeah. hey, here's the last thing I did. It, it's all true, yeah. by the way. I called the search and rescue headquarters. For this area, because my concern is because you have said, I don't know if I can climb 3,782 feet. There's no way. At 78, you you can't do it. And you also said (laughs) that you can't picture yourself, and I won't go into much detail here, so I'm just going to put it this way. You can't picture yourself going to the bathroom on the mountain, coming and going, you know, where... Backpackers don't even worry about that. You just go back in the woods, but you're like, I'm I'm not a bear. I I just, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. So so there are, so I wanted to see, here's what I wanted to see. Can our friend Lewis fly his helicopter up there if there needs to be a rescue? So I talked to this search and rescue guy 
And I said, first of all, I told him, I said, it's Jerry Springer. I still believe the mountain was named for him. Gene, you just gave me the idea. This is what I'm willing to do. Yeah. We get Lewis, his helicopter. Uh He takes us to the top of the mountain. We land at the top of the mountain. I put the crest in. We take the picture and then we fly away. Okay. I don't even have to climb it. I hear you. Let's draw it. I've let's, got a mountain. Let's flesh this picture out a little <laughs> if bit. If you would just climb every mountain. <laughs> just fly um, every mountain. Every mountain. <laughs> by every mountain. Hey, <laughs> let's flesh this out a little bit. That is the <laughs> southern starting point of the Appalachian Trail. So on any yeah. spring or summer day we go there, there is a steady stream of people hiking what's called the approach trail to Springer Mountain, where that's the ridge, and then they head north. They so really you hunt. think you can picture those people up there in this uh, <laughs> sublime and pastoral setting, having their moment, shedding a tear, starting their journey. And overhead is this freaking helicopter, like something <laughs> out of the Vietnam War. Comes down and starts breaking tree limbs and lands in some clearing that doesn't even exist. Yeah. And Jerry Springer steps out. Yeah, that Dan Springer. No, but I would stand up there. This is what we can offer people. (laughs) That's what we can offer. (laughs) I would stand at the mountain with my arm like this, and they could stand next to me, and we take a picture. We give them a picture. Oh, God. They can do selfies with me. All right, let me. That, would pay, that could pay for the gasoline for the for the fuel for the helicopter getting up to the top of the mountain. All right, Tiffany, hang on, we're coming. Yeah, we got Tiffany. Tiffany. We have Tiffany to ask is him this, this question. Wonderful talent, and she's but, putting up with. No, this. I know she's with us. We, but that <laughs> that begs this question. This is what could happen because they are not going to let you land. There's nothing up. There's no open space up there to land a helicopter. We have talked. How do before. you know? Have I, you ever been to the top of Springer no, Mountain? No, but Appalachian Trail is all forested. There is. No have you place. seen the Promised Land? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you know how we've talked about <laughs> you being on Running Wild with Bear Grill. Well, that's that not going to happen. All right. Would okay, but would you do this? <laughs> going to happen. Would you do this? Would <laughs> you get in a harness and come out of Lewis's helicopter? and be lower down on a cable with him hovering above, unclip and do those selfies and then go back up on a cable. Would you be willing to do that? That's Bear grill stuff. That I would be in a harness. In a harness. Being lowered down on a cable from a helicopter. Is it like bungee jumping where they drop you and then no. you bounce up just before you? It's a, it's, it's a, a, it's a slow, very slow, it's, it's a very slow, slow, low and slow. Yeah. Can All I right, get I back think, to you on that? Yeah. Okay. We'll think it over. And by the way, the guy from the Georgia uh, search and rescue, when I asked him this question, I said, Springer is loaded. And I went the whole thing. He's got seven houses <laughs> oh, all over the world. You know, <laughs> I said, if they have to rescue his ass off that mountain, because he can't get up there or he gets stuck in the squat while he's going to the bathroom and they got to come rescuing. I said, who pays for that? And he thought for a while and he says, oh, that's on the that's on the taxpayers of Georgia. Oh. I said, so he wouldn't have to pay for his own rescue. They said, no, yeah. no, no. Hey, fellas. Well, we, hey, fellas. I don't know if you can see this or not, but it says uh, here on Wikipedia. Um, the mountain has been called Springer <laughs> since at least 1910, oh, right. named after Jerry Springer. Oh, there you go. Where? There you go. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Wait a minute. Where? Well, it doesn't say. I'm looking at it now. Where it the, doesn't the say. The mountain Jerry. has been called Springer since at least 1910, named after Jerry Springer. It says it. It says it. What? Fantastic. The mountain has been called Springer since at least 1910. <laughs> Named after Jerry Springer. I was barely a kid then. There you go. Uh, Do you all know how Wikipedia works? Yeah, yeah, we do. If it's on Wikipedia, it has to be true. Hey Tiffany, that's why that's why I love Wikipedia. I do know how it works. Unbelievable. I can't. Now your crest has to go up there. (laughs) 
Oh, now, now. it's official. <laughs> hey, do you have a Springer? Do you have a Springer crest? Is there one? There will be. Thing. We have to crest his we'll, toothpaste. We'll put Marshall. The- <laughs> we have a Springer toothpaste. That's crest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're going to get that worked out. Hey, uh, and, hey by the way, uh, congratulations uh, to Jerry and David Proust. I guess all of us, we're, we're, we're starting our eighth year. This is pretty cool. Just finished yeah. seven years. Yeah, so, uh, this is the seventh anniversary. Okay, yeah. Tiffany Williams. And we had Tiffany on last week. Hello. Tiffany, Tiffany. M. Williams for Mouse. Tiffany for Mouse. Ma- but no. Uh, no, no. It's for her music. Ma- Shell. The end for is music, for music. For music. <laughs> uh, t- Tiffany, uh, <laughs> uh, born and raised in southeastern Kentucky, a true uh, daughter of a coal miner. And we chatted about that last time. Those are great roots. And Tiffany, you talked to us about, and I, boy, this spoke to me. Uh, you are, I'm going to throw some compliments to you. You're, you're a storyteller and you've been a fiction writer and you're a songwriter <clears throat> and uh, it's all about storytelling, isn't it? And uh, yeah. you do I'm a dialect and, coach too. I don't think I told you that. Um, you're what? A dialect coach. A dialect. For, for exclusively for Appalachian English. Yeah, there was a film I worked on in 2018 that went to Sundance in 2020. It was the last cool thing I did before the pandemic happened. It, wow. I, I got to go to Sundance yeah. and, and see the film. But it's called The Evening Hour, and it's a terrific film, and it's based, it was shot in Harlan County. And um, they had a, dial, a fancy dialect coach from Juilliard, but um, then they got then they got me yeah, <laughs> on, well, on yeah. set. So well, you well, hide your New York accent perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that good. <laughs> You're that good. That's great. <laughs> Tell us, uh, if you would, a little bit about that, this uh, Juilliard coach, uh, because you're from Appalachia. So I get it. I, I can picture it. They used you to help the people in the movie know how to so- sound authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I was on set with them. So in between takes, if I needed to give them notes or, um, or, or like, you know, in between set changes or whatever, if, if there was some lines they wanted to go over and, um, and I had to leave a little early. So I did record some lines for them. And then in post-production before they did ADR, I went and and gave some notes too. And we established in the last episode that you are you have been, you went to college, you then got a master's degree, and uh, you uh, then taught English for a number of years, and then you studied more linguistics, and so ergo a linguistics coach. This uh, person from New York, was he or she an authentic Appalachian person as you are? We know you are. No, her name was Kate. I can't remember her last name. Um, I emailed yeah. with her a couple of times, but she's like, what you think of when you think of a dialect coach? Like she can teach you. you across the board. Like she, that's her profession. And she, she worked with them a lot too. And, and she's incredible. Um, but yeah, I was, I was kind of like the on the ground hillbilly yeah. dialect. Yeah, coach. there you go, man. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> and uh, your, we were, we talked last time uh, about, how your music, uh, you know, sometimes we'll have people on, right, Jerry, where their moms or dads were singers and and uh, yeah. expose them to all these different kinds of music. And, and you said, well, that wasn't really your story. Your grandmother uh, was a singer and you were pulled into the choir. And even you said you got a scholarship, partial scholarship or full ride, whatever Yeah, and it was. they had Tell never us. heard me sing a note. <laughs> Really? Oh, no. They, the band director from the college came to my band room and, and said, we would like to give you a scholarship for euphonium. We wow. we also would like to give you a scholarship for a choir. Are you interested? And so I said, yeah, sure. Of course. So, <laughs> yeah. Why not? And by the way, what were your musical influences uh, when you were young? Because your sound now is folky slash Americana. What did you yeah. listen to as a kid? I listened to everything. I was a 90s kid with the, which I think it started before the 90s, but the Columbia House record scam that were, yeah. <laughs> you get like 12 CDs yeah. for a penny, but then your parents are obligated to buy a CD for $30. Right. 
right? Um, for one every month until for, for the rest you of know, your life. the end of the and, end and of your time. Cousins. So, yeah. right. <laughs> and that was thirty dollars in nineties money. So, but um, yeah. but yeah, was, I remember like I just went crazy. I got you know I would get classic country, contemporary country, um, Oasis, Sheryl Crow, and Tupac. Um, Man. so, so I, and, and, you know, rap was, I, I mean, I, I don't know that it comes out in my music at all, but I definitely, as a, as a kid of the nineties and early two thousands, I was definitely listening to rap too. Um, this, <laughs> when I was in middle school, I had uh, the all eyes on B double CD, you know, and mm-hmm. I would have my little Walkman and, and go to sleep with Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. That's a little juxtaposition with all the sad folk music that I make. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, are you, do you perform solo? Is that how you roll or do you work with a band ever or tell us about that? Sometimes, very rarely, I'll have a a band. I often have people, you know, just one or two people accompany me, somebody on fiddle or somebody on, you know, guitar or pedal steel. But most of the time it's just me um, solo. So, and, yeah. And you're in Nashville now, uh, uh-huh. you mentioned last time. Uh, and are you performing now that the pandemic is m- much more under control than it had been? Are you out yeah. performing yet? Yeah, I have been. Um, I just I recently did my my first gig of the year in uh, Lexington, Kentucky at the Burl. That's, oh, that's one of my favorite great. venues to play. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I'm in the process of booking a lot of stuff. Primarily after August, because that's when my first full-length album is coming out. Okay, so you have an album, first uh, uh, full album. What's the name of that? All Those Days of Drinking Dust. Nice. All Those Days of Drinking Dust. Of Drinking Dust. Dust. Because the the title song, I originally called it I Am a Coal Miner's Daughter. And yeah. then I was persuaded that maybe, you know, don't call it that. So okay. um, now it's called All Those Days of Drinking Dust, but it's about, um, yeah, growing up in, nice. in coal country and having a dad as a coal miner. So, um, so yeah. God, that's a great title. That's a great Thank coal you. mining title. Mm-hmm. You know, you. and uh, a title of an album influenced by your where you grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Was it? Is it a strong coal mine um, in a union town? Um, I th- you know, there's not a lot of coal mining at where I'm from anymore. My dad went across the state line to mine in Virginia the last few years yeah. that he was he was mine. Well, for for a large part of his career, but um, I don't think there's many uh, deep mines in my part of Kentucky anymore. It's I mostly see. you know strip mines and stuff. Yeah. So um, I know I remember there was. I vaguely remember when I was younger, there was a lot of talk about union versus non-union, but that's really all I know. Yeah. Can I ask you one more question? We're going to hear a song from Tiffany here momentarily. Uh, I know about strip mining. I'm I'm from Northern Kentucky. I didn't come from a coal mining background. If you want to know the truth, and this is maybe ridiculous, but what I know about coal mining has a lot to do with folk music. That's that sounds yeah. stupid, but I mean, I that's not stupid. Are, I don't know, maybe not. That's how the so, story is told. Yeah. So yeah. many songs. That's that, really that says a lot about folk music. It right? says a lot about folk music. I agree, Tiffany. And and then you know, and I uh, did some trips. I took some inner city kids from Cincinnati. <clears throat> You'll appreciate this maybe as a fellow educator. And I took a team of kids from a high school that actually I helped organize that was a journalism high school we were teaching kids how to do print and broadcast journalism to give them a leg up on journalism schools around the country really good schools and we took a team down to Appalachia to the coal fields and we did a documentary about what we saw and one of the places that we went they were strip mining and we went to the strip mine easy to do because it's not like a deep mine where you you can't because yeah. liability get down in it we're actually at a reclaimed strip mine yeah. and they and the mouthpiece for the company who gave us the tour uh put this uh pretty vanilla topping on this description 
uh, they'll look at these green fields and we're picturing the Holiday Inn up here. And I'm looking at a flat top mountain that looked dumb as hell. It just didn't look natural. <clears throat> and my kids who knew nothing of mining, these are urban African-American kids, didn't have any Appalachian roots, family members that worked in the mines. And uh, what is your take? I guess I just tip my hand. I don't feel real good about strip mining, but maybe I'm all wrong. Is it part of the economic necessity of Kentucky? Tell me, what do you think? Well, um, I don't, it's, I think, you know, to get to those top seams, they have to, that's, they can't get them through the deep mines. So I think yep. that's part of the, the reason that they want to do the strip mining. It's also mechanized. So, I mean, as far as like, is it good for the economy? There's, there are fewer jobs with strip mining than deep mining or, or mountaintop removal. Which, yeah, so um, so I don't know. I really don't know the I, I don't know the current state of what's going on okay. where I'm from, but um, but I know that I mean, yeah, it's it, it can be really tough on the environment. I don't I don't know as far as I used to actually teach um, mountaintop removal, you know, and, and so bring in there's a lot of literature. There's a Lost Mountain by Eric Reese oh, is, is a good book, yeah, and then there's Something's Rising by Silas Austin and Jason Howard edited it, and it's a lot of personal accounts about people who are in on the fight and everything, and there's music about it. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, activism, oh, yeah. you know, in, on that topic, and, um, you know, I don't know. I, what was your question? <laughs> oh, no, you've answered it. No, that's a good, uh, actually, uh, it's a good nuanced answer. It's uh, complicated. It has competing interests the yeah the folks and in, then you know you have i guess i guess you have things that are i don't i don't fully know as far as the reclamation goes you you may have you know structures that'll that are built on it but i think also there's some issues with like the structures have have it's not totally you know the integrity of the of the ground yeah. is not such that it really supports it or i mean i think it's just as with anything it's very complicated and yeah. um and it's heartbreaking and um yeah i don't know i think there's anybody who's interested in it there's a lot of if you can find a starting point and find that thread there's a lot of of things you can look into um but yeah it's 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 tough it is tough and jerry remember in 19 oh, what year yeah. was it 82 when you ran 82. for congress uh you no, uh, in no, ohio governor ran for governor pardon me yeah yeah and, uh, and you were endorsed by whom by the uh the coal miners union the yeah. uh yeah and uh we went into a mine and uh it it you know i'd read about it and heard about it just as gene had through various means but when you go in it's like you start saying to yourself and i was only going to be there for a couple hours uh my god imagine coming in here every day and eating your lunch down there. Yeah. yeah. And just, you know, cases of obviously the health issues, but beyond that, also the mental health issues, just the depression. And not yeah. you. Well, I mean, you're not, if you're working day shift, you're not seeing the sun really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So a lot of respect for those people. But what's kind of interesting is that hardly anybody raises their kid anymore to be a coal miner. In other words, it's we can argue about, you know, are we going to be supporting coal mining? It's that's not the future. And that's not where yeah. the jobs are. And the trouble is, it's like it's been a mono economy for so long. And that's been I mean, the coal mining jobs pay pay well. And, it, you know, a lot yeah. of people where I'm from are really tied to the land. And so you want to stay there and you want to support your family. And exactly. so coal mining is a great way to do that, or it has been in the past anyway. And so I think the worry, the long-term worry has been, you know, what, what replaces mining when, when it's gone, because we've been all about coal for so long. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, no quick <clears throat> Tiffany, at all. you're a cool woman. I'm really glad we had you on, <laughs> yep. not just for your Thanks. music, but this is uh <laughs> It's good stuff. I don't so. feel bad now about all the money we've been paying you. 
Oh, yeah. Well, no, you shouldn't feel bad at all. (laughs) And Tiffany, uh, and we want, we're going to hear a song that Tiffany wrote and performs called Ticket to the Moon. But one closing question, when we do our assault on Springer Mountain, as a, (laughs) as a linguist, would you accompany us on our team to make sure? I would sure be offended if you did not invite me. Okay, oh man! You <laughs> so, <you're... laughs> so and if uh, and no. if Jerry if Jerry cusses, can you make sure he sounds authentic? And I, I don't yeah. know. Oh, yeah. Well, I tell you <laughs> I... what. What are you doing <laughs> down here? <laughs> Swarping all over this mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, that's great. Hey, Tiffany, tell us about the song you're about to do, Ticket to the Moon. What, it's, what well, it's a song that, I, um, you know, I did not finger pick before the pandemic and, and, you know, lots of time on my hands. So I learned to finger pick. And this was the first song wow. that I started that way. And um, I started it during COVID, and I brought it to a couple of friends of mine in Nashville, um, Ben and Cassie Wilson. They're an Americana duo uh, by the name of My One and Only, and um, great songwriters. And so we wrote this one together, and then I cut it on my most recent EP. All right. Ticket to the Moon by Tiffany Williams. Back soon, I'll be back soon. But waiting breaks your heart, and hoping leaves you hard in love. All right, Tiffany, uh, that's that's a, another great song. We're really excited about uh, Tiffany Williams' music. And uh, where can people find more of it, Tiffany? Um, on the internet. Pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty much everywhere. <laughs> and you have a website. Um, all, all the places you listen, um, yep. YouTube, I've got some videos and stuff. My website is Tiffany, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y, M as in Michelle, Williams at W I L L I A M S. Next, I'll tell you my social security number. There you go. We gotta, we gotta and, keep some secrets. Yeah. And but, Jerry, um, just, yeah, Jerry, just out of curiosity, uh, 
what's your password on your uh, American Express card? I just said yeah. something, just say it real yeah. fast and then we'll move on. It's not a big yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, hey, so uh, Tiffany, uh, we, and you say that you're going to be out and about. You you love to perform in this place in uh, Lexington. What's that club again? That where you? Oh, play? I recently had a gig at the Burl in Lexington. Okay. Yeah. It's in the distillery district. It's kind of yeah. like a, a growing little area of Lexington. And um, I don't have a gig scheduled there anytime soon, but okay. I, I recently had a gig there. Yeah. All right. And um, so we we urge people, uh, check out the music of Tiffany Williams. As we were saying, she's really a, a neat person and uh, plenty deep about a lot of stuff. And I think all of that is reflected in the storytelling of her songs. So uh, thank you for being with us. Taking us out on our usual down by the riverside is our music coordinator, himself a singer-songwriter, Casey Campbell, and our own Jerry Springer. See you all next time. Y'all come back now, you hear? Yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. I coached you just right. All right, <laughs> <laughs> oh, see you guys. Good work. Thank hey, you so much, great Tiffany. Job. Thanks, Tiffany. Thank great you all job, so everyone. much. All right, see you Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I'm on the lake down my heavy load Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Way down, down by the riverside I'm on the lake down my heavy load, y'all Down by the riverside Sit down by the riverside I ain't gonna study anymore no more You've been listening to Tales, too Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield.